Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. So I'm not going to lie, that song got me when it says, I don't know what you're doing. I started thinking about it. I said, well, I don't know what I'm doing either. I said, man, I can't believe I'm about to get up there and talk. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. In fact, what am I even talking about? Like that all just happened. I was like, oh, I better be an overcomer today, Lord. You better show up. You ever just start thinking about the stuff God's called you to and what he's asked you to do, and then you're like, I am thoroughly unequipped to do that task? Like, we all get there, and sometimes you just got to get up on stage and just go for it, right? You got to get out of your feelings and let God do his thing. But listen, good morning. I'm glad you you were like, what's going on with you? Nothing. I'm just telling you, that was going through, just challenged a little bit this morning. But listen, I'm glad you're here as we continue our study in 1 Corinthians. Paul is winding down in the book. If you didn't know, we're in chapter 15 this week, and if you've gone through this study, it's been a... Six-month journey, by the way. Six months we've been going through this book, and he's finally coming to a close. And what I'm sure you've seen is that Paul has talked about so many different things. This church was a mess. Paul needed to correct their messiness. In fact, our messiness, speaking to their life, speaking to the matters of church practice, speaking to the matters of their faith and general. And so he's covered so many different things, talked about so many different areas of life, but today he comes back to the main thing. Like the most important thing they must keep in mind for living out the Christian life. And let's be honest, sometimes it's easy to get distracted from the main thing. How many times have you gotten an argument with someone, your spouse, And the next thing you know, you don't even remember what you started fighting about. That's never happened to y'all. Y'all are lying this morning in church. You just start going and going and going. You're like, well, what were we even talking about? Why were we fighting? What was the point? And you just start talking about irrelevant stuff. How many times you've been in a meeting where next thing you know, you're talking about things that aren't even close to pertaining to the main issue y'all were supposed to be talking about, right? It's easy to just get distracted and caught up with all sorts of different things, right? Lose focus on minor details rather than focusing on the main picture, like the main issue. Stephen Covey famously writes, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, (laughs) right? And it's not easy in life. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And thankfully, after Paul gets off track, not really, but just talks about all their issues, he comes back at the end to the main thing. And what do you think that is? Do you think it's women in ministry, speaking in tongues, not suing each other, not being prideful, sexual immorality, marriage issues, idolatry, instruction for worship? Because he's talked about all of those things. Right, all of them. And churches, our church, every church, can get so distracted with these non-main thing things. 
these issues where fights break out or issues that ends up becoming, becoming the main focus of everything they do and all that they talked about. It's a church known for minor things rather than the main thing because none of those things are the main thing. To which you ask, well, Brian, what is then? Well, he explains, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. He says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the what? The gospel, the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you. Here's the challenging point, Baptists. If you continue to believe the message I told you, Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. And so he brings them back to the main thing, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we say the word gospel, remember the word gospel means, they translate it out for us here, good news. The gospel is good news. It's a message about Jesus. And listen, when you hear about Jesus, if you don't hear good news, you're not hearing it right. Or we're not talking about it right. Because the message of Jesus Christ is good news. You see, the gospel is the main thing. And we have to be intentional about keeping the gospel the main thing in our lives and in the life of the church because it's easy to get distracted. But it is the gospel that is the main thing. And he lays out this, this process. He lays out this, this thing about the, the gospel that we have to embrace. Listen to what he says. He says, first, he preached it. That means that the gospel didn't originate with them. It's not something that the church can just come up with and decide what's true and what's not. The gospel has been passed down to them in the same way the gospel has been passed to us. We're not creating something new. Something's happened. There's been news. Something occurred, and we embrace that, and we live into it, and we teach it, and we preach it, and each one of us should be sharing this good news with other people. The gospel is good news. So he preached it, and then he says they received it, right? They welcomed it into their lives. They, they believed it is what Paul is saying. So it's not that they just heard the good news. They received it and started living into the story of the gospel. So we not only hear the gospel, we must welcome that gospel into our lives. If we can welcome it, that means we can reject it. We can say no to it. We can either receive it or we can reject it. Like we either embrace it or we refuse it. The choice is ours. But then he says you welcomed it, but then you were what? You stand firm in it. It's not just this one-time belief. I just believed it. I'm good. It's you stand firm in it. And what this means is they have taken hold of the gospel. They're defending, embracing it. In other words, they're building their life on the gospel. That's what it means to stand firm, like they've taken their stance in the gospel, like a foundation of a house. They're building everything up around the gospel. And it says, and this gospel saves you. It is this good news. It is this gospel that saves you. We're like, good, I'm saved. If, we're like, wait, we mean if. There shouldn't be an if. I was told that all I had to do was say this prayer one time. And then I had to get dunked. Okay, that was a little scary. 
and then I'm good. But yet, then we deal with the Bible. If you continue to believe. And that's the problematic part. If you continue to believe. And this is where our understanding of faith must be radically challenged. Paul's assuming that if you receive that you stand firm in it, you will continue, you will persevere, you will continue to stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it will save you. It will do what it's supposed to do if you continue in that belief, meaning if you continue to live out that Christian life. Because it's if you believe it, you're going to live into it. The assurance we have of our salvation comes from our continued belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, how do you know if you're saved? Do you believe in the gospel? Well, yeah. Well, you're good. Well, you know, I don't really know. Well, you may want to think about it. The insurance we have of our salvation is our continued perseverance. He says, or you may find that you believed in vain or that you believed something that was never true. You may find out about your life that you never really believed it. You had a shallow faith. You had a weak faith. It didn't hold up through the test of time. In fact, you may have walked away from it. I mean, how many people have you met or you know that seemingly lost faith? They walked away from it all. They were fired up for a short period of time. Now they're nowhere to be seen. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you had faith for a period of time. Life happened and now you don't believe anymore. Or maybe it just seems unimportant compared to all the other stuff you have going on. Like, your faith's important, but when it comes to all those extracurricular hobbies, or a scholarship, or a boat, like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Or maybe you grew up with faith, but you stopped believing about the same time you stopped believing all the other fairy tales your parents told you. But you see, saving faith proves itself over a lifetime. And for some of us, we have a hard time with that. We have. We've been taught that all we had to do was go to church. The guy said a prayer. He told us to come down in the front. We repeated the prayer, and then we were good. Like, that's all we had to do. And while there's a little bit of truth to that idea, it's not a practical, biblical idea at all. You see, saving faith is persevering in the faith. And what you might find on your faith journey is that your faith doesn't exist. Or that your faith is weak. And when life challenges you, which it will. That you don't actually have faith at all. You've been believing in something else. You've wanted something else more. God has been nothing but a genie. And if you don't get your way, I'm done. That's not faith. See, that isn't faith in the gospel. Or what happens when your sin desires become so important and so overwhelming? Do you run to Jesus or do you run to your sin? You see, the great thing is all of our faith will get exposed. And Paul says it could be that perhaps you believed in something that was never true. You believed in a God that wasn't real. Your idea of Jesus, your idea of God, your whole faith system wasn't even real. Or you never really even had faith in Jesus. You never really believed in the gospel. You see, one of the hardest things I do as a pastor, stay with me here. 
One of the hardest things I do as a pastor is to try to help people who grew up in the church in a Christian family understand that they may not have saving faith. Southern cultural Christianity has become a nightmare to deal with. And I say that so lovingly. Cultural Christianity is somebody who identifies as a Christian but doesn't have a relationship with Jesus or saving faith. They grew up in church. Their family went to church. They may even go to church because their mom calls them and bothers them. You coming this weekend? I didn't see you. You coming? Let's go. You got to go to church. Cultural Christianity is seen through when we care more about pews and hymns than we do about people dying and going to hell. Like, that's a problem. Or where leadership discussions are more concerned with keeping people happy than glorifying God. Like, glorifying God is the main thing, the thing that we are supposed to do, giving our lives to making Jesus Christ known to the world. Like, that is what a church should be doing. Or where chandeliers are more important than children's programs. You're like, Brian, that doesn't happen in church. You know it does. That's cultural Christianity. We're focused on the wrong things. We're focused on the wrong things, but those things don't make us Christians their preferences. It's nostalgia that's leading us, not the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul tells us what saving faith looks like. He says, you hear the gospel You welcome it into your lives, which means you believe it. You take a stand on it, which is you build your life around the gospel and all its implications. You're like, Brian, does that mean I got to do it perfect? No. But you're building your life on the gospel, and we continue to live out the gospel. Paul says, that is saving faith. Like, that's your assurance. Continuing that relationship with Jesus is your saving faith. Like, that's how you know. You see, nowhere does any biblical writer make you feel comfortable for weak or haphazard faith. The gospel is a serious thing. According to it, your eternity hangs on it. He says, well, I want to know where I stand. Well, what are you standing on? What are you building your life around? Is it the gospel? Is it important to you? Where do you spend your time, your talents, your treasures? Is it for gospel purposes? To which, at this point, I hope you go, well, Brian, you keep saying gospel and good news. What is it? Well, I'm glad we're on the same page. Because that's what Paul's going to tell us next. He's going to explain. And it's the closest thing we get to a definition of the gospel, the good news, summary statements we have. It's, it's right here. You should underline it. You should highlight it. In fact, you should memorize it. This is the early, the early definitions, right? Before there was a New Testament put together. This is what they believed. This is what they told everybody. This is the thing that they went around shouting and saying, like, this is the important stuff. Here's what you must receive. Here's what you must believe. Here's what you must build your life on. You ready? Or you want to do it next week? We'll keep going. All right, verse 3. He says, I pass on to you what is of first importance, some of your translations say, are most important. Like this is the thing. This is the big deal. This is the main thing about our faith. 
He says, what's most important and what has also been passed on to me, this is what he's received. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. These are the primary things about our faith, the first level issues, the things we need to wrestle with, the things we need to just get settled in our heart. Again, we can get distracted with, Brian, well, how exactly does salvation work? No, no, no. This is it. This is what we need to settle in our heart. This is the gospel. First, we have Christ. Christ, right here, this is a very loaded word. And remember, it is not Jesus' last name. Just you have, it, it is not. It is a statement. It is something bigger going on. It is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, which means the anointed king, the Lord, the ruler. So Jesus, it's not just like, well, Hoffman, right? My last name, Hoffman. No, no. It's saying the Messiah, the Lord, the, the one who's to come, the anointed king, he died for our sins. So first you have to settle who Jesus is and his claims. It's that he's the Lord. He's the Messiah. And you got to unpack that through the Old Testament. We'll do another day. Of all the things pointing to Jesus being this guy, of him coming. But what does it say the Messiah did? That he died for our sins. This means that you and me, we must accept that we are sinners. We're transgressors. We aren't people who just made some mistakes. We have flat out disobeyed God. That we are people who do wrong choices because we wanted to do them. Y'all ever done that before? You knew you weren't supposed to do it and you did it anyways? Only some of us? Well, you need to deal with the fact that you're a sinner, right? This is the issue. You're like, Brian, I don't know about this. I don't know if I'm a sinner. You should come to Starting Point. We talk all about it. We have a connection card in front of you. Check. I want to do Starting Point. I've asked you to do it before, right? We talk all about this idea of sin. So we got to understand that he died for our sins and I'm a sinner, the Messiah, the King, the Lord has come and died for our sins. And so when we talk about Jesus dying, <clears throat> here's a great, great way to understand this. Jesus died with us. He identified with us. He died instead of us. He took responsibility um, for us. Right? He's our rep representation. He's our substitution. And he died for us. He incorporated us into God's family, into the life of God. So we have the Messiah, Jesus Christ, died for our sins, that being you and me, because we are sinners. Just as the scripture said. And this isn't talking about the New Testament. It's referring back to the Old Testament or the collection of Jewish writings. You see, the thing about Jesus is he didn't just appear out of nowhere, kind of like the Book of Mormon did. It just kind of appeared. No, no, it's not like that. Jesus was foretold. All throughout the Old Testament scriptures, all throughout the Jewish scriptures, we can see them pointing to this, this figure, this person to come. And once we see Jesus, you can go back and see throughout, like, wow, it's been talking all about him. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment. This is a big deal. He's the fulfillment of the story of Israel. He didn't just show up out of nowhere. He is the fulfillment of everything God was doing with Israel. He didn't just come out of nowhere. It's been pointing to this Jesus, this Messiah, this person to come. 
So the entire Old Testament we see pointing to Jesus. Then we have the entire New Testament pointing back to Jesus. It all centers around this person, the Christ. He's a really big deal. That's our faith is based on him. But not only did he die for our sins. Go to the next slide. It says, just as scripture said, he was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And so what we believe is that he died and was really buried, not passed out, not kind of tricked some people. We believe that the Romans who were professional killers who said they had killed him, knew what they were talking about. Like, do you understand that? Like Romans, the guys who were around Jesus, I'm going to cross, they professionally murdered people. And they were like, yeah, he's dead. If there's someone you want to ask if they've correctly murdered, it would have been a Roman. They were like, yes, we murdered him. He's gone. He's dead. We did it. And they buried him on a tomb, uh, buried him in a tomb. But we believe that he didn't stay there. And that is central to the gospel, that Jesus didn't stay in the grave, that he rose from the grave, literally came back to life to usher in for you and for me a brand new life. And to be clear, what does it mean for a bodily resurrection? This is very difficult. Stay with me. It means his body was literally, like in the literal sense of the word literal, right? We get all caught up in language. Literally raised, like he actually came back to life, not in a spiritual sense, but in a real, resurrected, dead, now alive sense. And the resurrection is central to the gospel. And he says, just as the scripture said, like there were signs in the Old Testament about this happening, about this person doing this. The good news is both Easter Sunday and Good Friday, he died and rose. And so here's what's so important to understand about the gospel. The gospel is not about you. The gospel is about King Jesus, who has died for our sins and rose from the grave to usher in new life, and defeat death. The good news is not about you being saved, although it does that. The good news is that Jesus has come. He is and always will be the central figure in that story. We confuse gospel with our personal salvation. Folks, the gospel is about Jesus Christ. What he has done this event in history, the good news that Jesus has done something and he came on a worldwide mission to rescue and save us. And here's the point. If Jesus has actually done that, if he actually rose from the grave, then that validates everything else he's taught, everything else he believed. Our faith is rooted in a real event in actual history. And Paul says, we put a time stamp on this. Like, look, you can go back and talk to these people. Here's what he says next. He says, and he says he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of who are still alive, though some have died. 
He was seen by James and later by all the other apostles. Paul is saying, listen, this event about Jesus happened in real time in history. He says, go fact check me. Go talk to him. Some are still running around. He says, you remember Peter? The one who followed Jesus, then when it got hard, denied Jesus? Remember, he, he ran away from it all? Yeah, like when it came to life or death, Peter was like, I'm out of here, which we would too. Then something changed. What did Peter say that changed? Why is Peter now risking his life for everything? Well, he says he saw Jesus from the dead. Like he came back to life. Remember the 12 who, this was the official title of the apostles who were with Jesus. We know Judas wasn't there. Don't worry about that. It's just the official title. He says those ones who are now risking everything to, to tell people about Jesus. Like they're going all over the place spreading the gospel. History tells us that only one of them, John, died of natural causes. The rest of them were killed for telling people that Jesus rose from the grave. They were were murdered for going around saying that they couldn't murder Jesus, that he came back to life. I mean, why would they die for a lie? They ran when he was arrested, and then something changed after that. And what they said it was? And what they claimed it was, was that he defeated death. Like he came back. And then he was seen by more than 500. And Paul says right here, he says, you can go and talk to them. You can go ask them. Plenty of people saw this Jesus walking around. And think about this, folks. It's so funny. Think about how easy this would have been to disprove. Neither Rome or the Jewish leaders wanted Christianity spread. None of them. All they had to do was produce a body. And we've seen CIS. Everybody finds bodies. That's an easy thing to do, evidently. All they had to do was be like, oh, you th- no, he's right here. Like, all they had to do was produce a body and say no. All they had to do was show people he was, he was dead. It would have been so easy to disprove their claims. The Jewish leaders didn't want it to grow. Rome didn't want to go. All they had to do was produce a body, and it would have been over. And yet, they couldn't. And Christianity spread. And every time the church was persecuted, every time someone tried to put their thumb on it and get rid of it, it blew up even bigger. And it just kept growing and growing and going all over the world. Think about it. This little group of people under the most powerful nation the world had ever seen grew this extremely, the largest religion the world has ever seen. And what was their point? He rose. That was their message. He died and he rose. And nobody could disprove it. And then he says, and you can ask James. Who was James? His brother. What would it take for you to believe your brother was the Messiah? Those of you with brothers are like, what would it take for me to believe my brother was the Messiah? The same thing it would take for James to believe that his brother was the Messiah. When he saw him risen from the grave, James didn't believe in Jesus while his earthly ministry was going. James didn't believe until after he died and he came back to life. He's like, you know what? I'm going to believe it now. Like, I just, I'm good. Like, okay, fine. I know you're my brother, but I'm going to give my life to this. 
You see, our faith, the good news, is rooted in an actual event and actual history. We spiritualize this too much. It was that he literally died and literally rose again. The good news is that Jesus was an actual person who actually came, who actually died, and actually rose from the grave. We can get into spiritual language about how all of it works, but that's what we believe happened. That's what launched our faith, that event in time. Tim Keller says, let's see if we have the quote. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? If he did it, you got to believe all of it. If he didn't, then why believe any of it? Everything in our faith, I mean, think about how fragile our faith should be. Everything about Christianity hinges on Jesus actually raising from the dead. If you disprove the resurrection, then nothing else matters. As C.S. Lewis popularized the idea that Jesus was either a liar, lunatic, or the Lord. The same would be true for all of his followers. Why would you die for a lie? I mean, so many of them would be collectively dying and start a movement where we know enough about Judaism to know they would all have been heretics, which would have been against their faith. None of that makes sense about them just lying. Or they were all crazy. You ever made a crazy person? Like your Uncle Steve? You think Uncle Steve would start a worldwide religion that, traveled, that stood the test of time for 2,000 years and everybody would be claiming great things about him? You're like, no, I don't even like them. I don't know anybody else would. That family member, you got that right. But yet these guys, if they're crazy, started the largest movement the world has ever seen. They're the liars. They're lunatics. Or they're telling the truth. That Jesus really did raise from that grave. And that's what we believe in. If we strip our faith back, sometimes we overcomplicate it. That's what our faith is rooted in. We are Christians because we believe Jesus is the Messiah who died for our sins and was raised from the grave three days later. And if we believe that, then it will absolutely cause us to trust him in all other areas of life. Because if he can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, then we believe everything else he says. Like that would have been the hardest thing to pull off. It means that what he says about forgiving our sins is true. That he takes away our sins. He lifts up our sins and carries them away. He can get rid of your shame and your guilt. Like Jesus can deal with that. It's what, what he says about loving God and worshiping God should be the primary focus of our life. That means that's true. It means what he says about marriage and the relationship is true. What he says about loving others is true. What he says about a coming judgment is true. What he says about hell is true. What he says about our ability then to have eternal life through him because he is the way, the truth, and the life, then that means that is true. 
that we can have reconciliation, we can have forgiveness through him. If he really did pull that off, then everything else he said is true. And that's what we cling to. That's what we put our hope in. And then Paul says this. He says, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I'm the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Next slide. He says, but whatever I am now, or I am what I am, it's all because, the, because God poured out his special favor on me. And not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his, say it with me, grace. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you have already believed. Paul says, look, I saw him too. He says, though I was abnormally born or born at the wrong time, he literally says, he said, I was miscarried. I was a stillborn. Like, if you think Paul thinks a lot of himself, he does not. He's like, I, I'm just like this, this deformed child being born at the wrong time. Like, I have no idea why God used me. Like, I'm just messed up. And yet, it's undisputed that he was one of the greatest leaders of all time. Here he is. And he says it's because he's deeply indebted to God's grace. Remember, he persecuted the church. That's what he talks about here. He, but Jesus changed his life. He says, I am what I am by God's grace. Remember, Paul was going places. He was a scholar. He was elite. He was on, the, he was on his way to be like the top guy in his time, dragging away, persecuting Christians, throwing them into prison. But then Jesus changed his life. You can read all about it in the book of Acts. And then he gave up all of that, his career and everything he had going for him, to pour out his life to people telling him about Jesus. He was here pouring out to the church in Corinth. He was gaining nothing but giving everything just so they could know about the Savior of the world. I mean, Paul's entire mission was to share the gospel. To tell people that Jesus has died, the Messiah has come, he has died, and he rose from the grave. Paul wasn't building an empire. He wasn't building a denomination so he could just sit back once he became the leader and not do anything anymore. He wasn't building big buildings. He was just an ambassador. He said, look, man, I just got to tell you, Jesus did this, and Jesus changed my life. He says, the Messiah has come. Paul didn't want anything from anybody. He wanted something for them. He wanted them to know Jesus. And Paul says, I have worked hard. I've given my life to this, but it's not me who was doing anything. It was God who was doing everything. He said, it was only by God's grace. You see, what Paul tells us here is the gospel is deeply personal. While the good news is about what Jesus has done, the gospel should radically change your life. You should have experienced life transformation through Jesus Christ. And listen, I know this gets messy if you grew up in the church. I know it gets complicated, like what does this mean? How does it all work? I'm just telling you, the gospel should continually change your life. You should continually, progressively be growing more and more like Jesus. Like unless you are Jesus, 
Any Jesuses in here? Please don't raise your hand on that one. Like, unless you are perfect, you should continually see life change. You could continually grow in your faith because the gospel is deeply personal. When you start experiencing his mercy, when you start experiencing his grace, things will change. You will not have a choice. And you feel like, Brian, I've never experienced that. You probably have never met Jesus. And I'm available to talk with you as long as you possibly need about that. The gospel should create life change. It should do a good work in your life. And so I ask you, have you encountered a personal relationship with this Jesus Christ? Because when you believe it, it will change your life and your priorities. Because nothing then is important. If Jesus really did rise from the grave, like if he can really defeat death, then that means your job is nothing compared to his worldwide mission to rescue the world. Like, whatever you think you got going on is important, saving the entire world from hell, like, that's a pretty big deal. You got something bigger than that going on? Nope. Like, you're like, Brian, yeah, no, like, that's what the gospel reorients us. It makes us realize, like, there is something greater and bigger going on. That means your bank account is nothing compared to the treasures you're storing in heaven. Like, nothing compared to what you're storing up there with him. Your hopes and dreams are then so small in comparison for him trying to save the world. Like the world. And your sin is so worthless compared to spending eternity in his love. And the self-denial you experience now is nothing compared to the glory you will experience him with, uh, for eternity. You see, we receive the gospel. We stand firm in the gospel because it's the only thing that promises to rescue us from our pain and our suffering. Maybe here now, maybe not here now, but definitely in eternity. He promised us to rescue us from all of that. Usher in this new life that you can experience now. You see, Jesus showed by defeating death that your eternal life starts now, like right now, you're going to live forever. You're like, no, no, like that's what the gospel says. Like, what do you got to lose? Just why not give up everything? You can either, you know, you've heard his thing. You can either try to save your own soul and you're going to lose everything or give up everything and he'll save your soul. Like you have a choice. But we, you and me, have to put our faith and our trust in what he has done. And that is not an easy thing to do. That's not a small ask from anyone. But if you believe what he claims to have done, then it will keep you coming back. It will be your motivation because all of us are continually faced with the fact that we will die. And he says, I have that answer. I figured that out. You're good. I got you. I got you covered. And so we claim Rather than trusting in all this other stuff, rather than trusting that all this other stuff is going to save us, it's going to redeem us, it's going to fix us, we trust in his works and what he's done, and we claim that his work is sufficient enough for our salvation. And out of that motive, out of our believing, we then dedicate our lives to worshiping him. We reorient our lives around his word because if he defeated death, well, then I'm going to trust him with everything else I got going on. We come together with other Christians to carry each other's burdens and help each other grow, which is part of the deal of being a Christian. 
Like it's a community thing. This isolated individual, I don't need the church. It's not in the Bible. It's not, I don't know what you're talking about. It has nothing to do with our faith. Our faith is a community thing where we come together to help each other. And we serve each other. Like we use our spiritual gifts. We talked all about that. Like all this church thing is a, big, is, is a really big deal. We're like, Brian, why is church a big, big deal? Because he's the one who created it. He's the one who invented this idea. He says, come together, gather together, carry each other's burdens, help each other grow, serve each other. Like we are a new people. We are God's people through Jesus Christ celebrating what he has done in this place. Like that is a big deal, folks. And then we tell other people like, hey, you got to check this thing out. The gospel is awesome. Like Jesus radically changed my life and you need to experience him. You're like, I want to talk about the religious stuff. Well, I'm not telling about religion. I'm talking about good news. You want to know it? Jesus died. For your brokenness. And then he defeated death three days later to show us all this stuff was true. Which means our identity is now rooted in Jesus Christ. Like the main thing we are is not your job, not your education, not where you're from, not your last name. Your identity now is rooted in Jesus Christ. I am a child of God through Jesus. Praise God because I could have never earned that title, folks. He has done that. The main thing to keep is the gospel, and we must be gospel-driven, allow it to drive everything else we do, do. which is how Paul says in this, Romans 10, 9. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, remember, that's Jesus the Messiah, Christ, that's that whole title wrapped up, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, there it is again, you will be saved. Like, that resurrection validates everything else. Like, that is a big deal. That is the thing. Do you believe he did that? You're like, well, I believe Jesus is a good person, but I'm not too sure about the raise from the dead. Like that sounds, that, that sounds far-fetched. I'm listening. Then you don't believe in the gospel. You just got to understand that. We can work through that. We can, we can work through it. I got plenty of books you can read about it. But our faith is rooted in a real event in real time because the resurrection changed everything. And so do you believe that? Do you believe in the power of Jesus Christ to purify you from all your unrighteousness and to save your soul? Do you believe in him to purify you from everything else you got going on and change your life so you can live for his mission and his glory? You've heard the gospel and ask, have you welcomed it into your life? Have you welcomed the story of God coming as a human being into this world to rescue you into your life? And do you stand firm in this gospel? Are you building your life around, like, like you built a house on a solid foundation? Are you building your life on the fact that Jesus defeated death and welcomes you into eternal life right now? Like you have nothing to fear. You can give up absolutely everything because you're going to live forever. Just, we're good. We got this. Eternal life starts now, and are you building your life on that? Are you continuing in the faith? Are you allowing the gospel to challenge and touch every aspect of your life? Are you continually growing? To which Paul would call, are you being saved? There's a past, present, and future tense of salvation all throughout the scriptures. Saved, being saved, and will be saved. Are you currently being rescued from your sin? Is the gospel deeply personal in your life? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ is what I'm asking you. And the good news is you can put your faith and trust in him at any time. And saying, I believe in what he has done. 
I believe I cannot do it. And I put my faith and trust in him. Because if you believe that Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection and actually pulled it off, you will reorient everything in your life around that. Because he claims to be God who came to us to rescue us. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and ask you to help us see where we are in our faith. The gut-wrenching question we all have to ask is, do we really believe? Have we really placed our faith and trust in you? Are we following you? Father, we are so thankful that we see from the life of Jesus that if we are struggling to believe, all we have to do is ask you, help me in my unbelief and you'll show up. Father, expose the truth in our life. Help us have a deeper, more personal relationship with Jesus. Expose where we're putting our faith. And help us believe and understand and know more about Jesus being the Messiah who died for us. Instead of us and with us and rose from the grave. Father, help us believe in the gospel. And Father, many of us have come to church our entire lives. We've tried to live a good life, to do what our parents and grandparents said, but we've never actually experienced transformation. Father, help us today see that we need to place our faith and our trust in you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.